There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Welcome, welcome to another in our series, You Haven't Seen That, Part 2. This week we're grooving on the good lovin' of Lawrence Kasdan's The Big Chill, which Mike had never seen before. Nope. How did I know that? Why, I heard it through the grapevine. Do you think that's strange of Mike? Well, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him right now. Watch his face turn a whiter shade of pale. Wouldn't it be nice? Now, we've got a lot of the weight to carry in this episode, and while there may be a bad moon rising, Mike and I ain't too proud to beg you to listen to this episode. I'm your host, who can't always get what he wants, Max Levine, and over there, waiting for the midnight hour, is your host, Mike Luce, who feels like a natural woman. So, let's bring some joy to the world. Mike, do you second that emotion? I will hurt you, <laughs> and I will find new ways to do it. <laughs> Well, before you do that, while well, I can still use my both hands, uh, we will get to our poll question. Poll question. Last week, we asked you, what do you really want out of life? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We should have. That'd be a real good one. That'd be a good poll question. But uh, no. what is a movie that you loved as a child, but you just can't watch as an adult? Mike Dan says, Pokemon the movie. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. You know, you want to be the very best, the best there ever was. <laughs> Agatha Gasparoni says, all dogs go to heaven. Huh. I enjoyed it as a kid because I didn't understand then how dark of a movie it is. Yeah. 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 I've never seen it, but uh, I'll, I can't imagine it. See, in the title, it talks about dogs dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I vote yeah. no. Byron Ho says, Masters of the Universe. Oh, come on. That just gets better. <laughs> it's only because it runs on neutrinos. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> Charles Forsyth controversially says, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The child catcher scene was really scary. Yes, it was. I made the mistake of watching it as an adult, and the movie is largely cringe-inducing. Well, see our episode on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, I mean, at least Dick Van Dyke said, yeah, I'm not doing the British accent again. Yes, for, I will be the only person in this movie with an American accent. Yeah, and we won't explain it. <laughs> yeah. Or the wigs. Or the wigs. They're not explaining the wigs. Christine Santos says, Fluke. Hmm. I can watch it, but I'd probably struggle to refinish it just because it's an emotional roller coaster ride, especially if you're a dog lover. I don't know that one. I don't either. I was thinking it might have to do with a whale, but I guess not. Pete Krychek says, Not a movie. Well, then you're fired. <laughs> but remember the animated TV series? Oh, God. Challenge of the Super Friends? Oh, dear. It's the Trouble Alert! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was that was Super Friends. This oh. was, well, hang on, such fond memories. I bought the whole DVD box set. <laughs> oh, no. Thinking I was going to relieve my childhood. And this is in all caps. How was I entertained by this? How? Who wrote this? Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> Little George C. Scott action there for you. That was the one, I believe, Challenge of the Super Friends is when they brought in, you know, Samurai and Apache Chief and El Dorado and Black Vulcan because, oh, we need ethnic people. Let's make up some. Um, they still have the trouble alert. Oh, they did. Oh, okay. yes. The trouble alert, which is one word and I don't know how to spell it, but it wasn't Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. It was no, definitely it was Zan the Wonder. and Jaina and the yeah. monkey. Yeah, and the uh, bucket jo- of goat piss and whatever. <laughs> George Saulnier, or Saulnier? Saulnier, I believe. Saulnier. 
says, I enjoyed the Peter Lorre, Mr. Moto movies as a child, oh, yeah. but ugh, so racist. Only a lot. <laughs> yeah. Also the TV show Wild Wild West. Oh, yeah. Very hard to watch now. Also racist and wildly misogynistic. Yeah. Billy Jack was a film I felt very positively about in my youth, but it's nearly unwatchable. I felt that way about the trial of Billy Jack. Also, as a kid, I loved listening to old radio broadcasts of The Shadow, but another one too racist and xenophobic to stomach today. Yeah, yeah I get well, that. especially if it, the ones during during wartime, because of course there was, you know, yeah, a lot take of anti Japanese the, attitude. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Valerie Coons. Supreme Mugwump of Q Footsteps. Oh, I'm sure she's going to love being called that. <laughs> yep. I tried to think of something, but nothing came up. If oh. I were a bit younger, though, I'd instantly say the, oh, God, My Pretty Pony movie. Uh, and oh. anything to do with Smurfs or the Chipmunks. Yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah, I, I could see that easily. Oh, no, I couldn't see that because, yeah, it would cause me uh, bodily harm. <laughs> professor, professor Seth Jacobs oh. writes... Oliver. Oh, I wonder CR, why. Well, yeah, see our episode on Oliver. Interesting. And, of course, from the great tundras of Cleveland, I forget. It's up north Canada. <laughs> Same thing. We have Vince, who says, Cleveland? There were 1970s animated Tintin and Asterix movies that I thought were fine as a kid, but seeing them now, they play every Christmas holiday season, all holiday season long here in Quebec. I just can't stomach how sexist and really racist they are. Yeah, the original Tintins kind of were. Yeah, there was a couple that they had to actually say, we're not going to republish those. We're just going to... Yep. I didn't remember Asterisk being particularly racist, was it? They were. were they? It was uh, more background stuff, but yeah. Okay. Uh, I, was the, I wasn't the right age for E.T. when it came out, but I thought it was a masterpiece until I rewatched it a couple of years ago and just couldn't stand it. Hmm. Huh. It was just way over the top manipulative for me. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I wouldn't even recommend it to my moose or enslaved penguins these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he stopped uh, hunting let, them. I guess that's Let my progress. penguins go! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a great Heston there. Thank you. Are, are you having so, a hernia? What, what's going on? I, 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 I can't sit up straight. Ow! <laughs> Mr. And Heston, I can, I get you, can I get you a glass I, of water? I have not had a bowel movement in six months. <laughs> yeah. Do not see in our entire episode <laughs> on Ten Commandments because we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's too long. What about, you, what about you, Mike? What was a movie that you loved as a kitty wink and can't deal with as a... I... I gotta go with Elsa She-Wolf of the SS. <laughs> I think you're lying, Grandpa. No, this was tough because I can still find things I like about them. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, I will admit, as an adult, is slow. But that is a... Um, Couple of good songs. Oh, oh, no, I enjoy some of the songs and stuff, and I enjoy the car flying and stuff. It's just a, let's see, how shall I put this? feature of British cinema that it tends to um it'd be leisurely meander. yes it's not in a hurry to do anything especially science fiction. oh mm. dear yes other than that I don't 
I think I would. Pr- There's a film that I didn't see as a kid, but I, I, I don't think I could watch. I saw it as an adult, and I can't watch it again. Which was a Disney adjacent film. I think it was released by them, but <laughs> I don't think adjacent. they made it. Mm-hmm. Called the Brave Little Toaster, which is one oh, of the yeah. most depressing animated oh, films God. I've it's, ever it, seen. It really is. It's just like you'll never want to throw anything out ever again because everything's personified, and they all feel terrible when they get thrown in the junkyard. And there's this giant gaping yep. flaming maw of a crusher that's like them going to hell. It's really You just... can see a lot of in- this movie influence the Toy Story movies pretty heavily. Yeah, it's just, no. Just, mm-hmm. it's like reading, when I was a kid, we read the Hans Christian Andersen, The Little Match Girl. Luckily, after the third match burned out, she had wonderful dreams as she froze to death. Yeah. <laughs> and then an angel came and took her up to heaven because she was dead! <laughs> Yikes. So, but how about you? Is there any childhood film that you just like? No, I... The thing is, I never really liked the Disney live-action movies, except for one. I liked Swiss Family Robinson. Mm Mm-hmm. And I especially liked it because I remember seeing it in the theater with Dave. Dave! And we had a lot of fun with it for our own reasons. But uh, (laughs) I tried watching some of it years ago, and it's just so painful. Yeah. It's so dopey. I, I can't deal... There was a bunch of those, like Johnny Tremaine and the Moon Cussers, and a bunch of those wow. live action. Oh, you must have seen Johnny Tremaine. A Johnny Tremaine, I knew, but not the Moon Cussers. Yeah, I think I only saw it once in mm. um, school. Like that's the only way I saw these was in school. It was the oh, it's early June. You kids aren't going to learn anything because you're not paying <laughs> you're not any attention because yep. it's sunny out. So here, watch a Disney movie. So, but but. Thank you so much for your answers. They were great, as always. And so we want more, more. Yes. We're still not satisfied. But what are they going to answer? That's the question. To answer the new poll question. <gasps> a lot of people think of this week's movie, The Big Chill, as a movie that defined, or at least summed up, a generation. What movie do you think is a defining movie for your generation? What movie just says, yep, that's my generation's movie? As it were, Talking about my j j j j generation, if you will. No, I won't, because it wasn't in the soundtrack. Dang. <laughs> I, I don't know if that would have come out at that period, but... Uh, uh, no. We will let you know how to respond to this, for the any of you who don't know already, at the end of the show. There might be new but people. Before we continue, before we get to the big chill, we do want to read a response from our own very scholarly Adam Mark, who had issues with our Goonies review. He did? He did, and he responded, You both were born 50, apparently, or else initiated your adulthoods by trading in your sense of adventure and wonder for hearts of ice and stone. If I could feel anything, I would be upset. Uh, Are you ice or am I ice? uh, I think I'm ice, but... Mm. I love this movie. As you reference in your podcast, you too imagined yourselves discovering mysteries and having adventures in your young years. Far in the distant past, (laughs) that would... That was me. I'm stone. Yeah. This, this film presents a story where disaffected and powerless children actually discover the proverbial pirate map and the buried treasure that will save the day and all the rest of it. It's an interesting companion to Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, which envisions a similar mystery turned adventure beyond anyone's initial guess. 
The Goonies is an escapist wonder where kids are irreverent and brave, villains are truly villainous, and every twist and turn presents a new challenge of horror. I think the film's enduring appeal boils down to the viewer's yearning for childhood. The film is an allegory. Just as the Goonies fight to save their homes and thus their friendships, the viewer seeks to recall their youth, regather their own childhood crew, and the simplistic good-slash-bad morality and boundless optimism and more forgiving knees that we all imbibed back in the day. He's not wrong. I get the I get the critique that the film's tone sometimes shifts, but the film is not meant to be a serious Schindler's List slog. Good. There is almost a touch of magical realism to it, where the artifacts of the attic and the stormy skies outside the former windows fan out into an amazing treasure trail that only the horizons of your own imagination can limit. The dialogue is sharp and witty, but never cruel. The kids are all absolutely delighted to be there, and the film's score is one of my absolute faves. Goonies never say die. Wow. Well, thank you, Adam. That was yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I agree, but that was very well reasoned and very well presented. Yeah, I I will say the same thing. And here's the other thing about our show: if you haven't figured this out, and I'm not aiming this at Adam, I'm aiming this at anybody who might listen in. This is just Max and my opinion. That's all. This doesn't mean we declare this film bad. We declare blah, blah, blah. We declare we found this film lacking. And I'm going to stand by what we said because all of the things that Adam found in this or says that this film should be could have been done in a better fashion, in our opinion. We think so. But again, our opinion, that's the stress there. And actually, if, if our stuff makes you... I don't know, roils you up enough so that you want to respond. That's great. We love to hear counter-arguments. It uh, brings a whole other perspective to the movie. We may revisit it at some point. I might rewatch it with this in mind. Sure. So thank you, Adam. That's terrific. Very much. By all means, anyone, feel free to write us. We've said it many times. Write us to say we're right. Write us to say we're wrong. And that's cool. And I am in no way going to denigrate adam's opinion he's totally entitled to it i'm glad he liked the movie we didn't and if we had seen it when we were 9 10 11 we might have had a different opinion but we didn't so but thanks for listening no matter what we do appreciate it yeah and for taking the time but we're not doing the goonies this week no we're doing the big chill and starting off with the facts budget eight million dollars yeah, that seems about right. Pretty much for the actors, yeah. Yeah. Box office, fifty-six million. Huh. It's pretty. It's pretty good, which explains Big Chill Two: Alex's Revenge. Yeah, it didn't pull in Goonies money though. <laughs> no, no, it did not. Uh, this movie was nominated for three, count them, three Academy Awards in 1984, including Best Picture, Best Writing, and Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Glenn Close. Ah. One of her eight nominations that she still has not won. I'm so sorry, Miss Close. Only eight, huh? Yeah, you, yeah, which isn't even the record. But. I mean, it's. I was going to say, it's not Meryl Streep levels of ridiculousness. Well, but, but she keeps winning, you know? Yeah. Actor Tom Berenger, guy who plays Sam, mm. described the film as being, quote, about that period in life when you're beginning to realize you have limitations, that you will never accomplish certain goals and dreams. Suddenly, you know you're not a kid anymore. Okay. That's Kevin cheering. Klein. <laughs> met future wife Phoebe Cates when she auditioned for the part of Chloe, which eventually went to Meg Tilly. We'll get back to him. <laughs> Flashback scene. Now, this is one of the most, well, it's sort of one of those obscure but not obscure famous cameos in Hollywood. Kevin Costner is in this movie. He is? Yes, he is. Is it he his He is ha- the wrist? body of Alex Marshall. 
Ah. Now, flashback scenes with <laughs> Kevin Costner as Alec Marshall were filmed, but then cut out of the movie. Costner is still visible as the body being dressed at the beginning of the film. He's also in the fireplace, in the ashtray, in the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so wait, so Kevin Costner, whom a lot of people's uh, opinion of his acting is, um, shall we say, stiff, was the perfect choice. <laughs> was literally playing a stiff, yes. <laughs> yep, playing yeah. to his strengths. Uh, fans have long clamored to see Kevin Costner's footage for the sequences showing Alex Marshall's life prior to his suicide. But in all the documentaries and interviews and such, Lawrence Kasdan has never shown anything more than still photographs from a location shoot. He's also refused to do any sort of director's cut, saying the version of the film as it stood since 1983 is his director's cut. Oh, well, So good go. for him. To make up for cutting him out of the film, Kasdan offered Costner a lead role in his next film, Silverado, hmm. where he plays Jake. I remember thinking that was a pretty decent modern day western. It's a very, it's a great western. It's a good solid one. You, I know you don't like westerns, but eh. if westerns go, I think it's terrific. Apparently, the st star Kevin Klein really <laughs> wanted the Michael Gold part, oh. which was cast with Jeff Goldblum because the part was funnier. Oh, yeah, I can see that. When Glenn Close walked in for a first reading, Tom Berenger didn't recognize her. Despite the fact they'd been in a stage production of The Rose Tattoo together in 77. Oops. But according to Berenger, she had lost 50 to 20 pounds, had a shorter hairstyle and a thinner face, and right, uh, initially he didn't know who she was. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Mr. Berenger, glasses? <laughs> For the scenes where Kasdan anticipated using music, he'd have the actors deliver their lines really loud. This was done so when the songs were, were added later in, in post, the lines would be heard clearly above the sound. The music and the sound was natural. Seemed to work. What post? Keep flailing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the characters were based on people Kasdan lived with in the Eugene V. Debs co-op. I don't know what that means. In Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh. I like how they, in the uh, blurb on IMDb, it says, in Ann Ar Arbor, Michigan, USA. <laughs> as opposed to the Ann Arbor, Michigan in... I don't know, Luxembourg. Irkutsk. <laughs> While attending the University of Michigan. Co-ops are co-ed housing in which the residents share household duties like cooking. This explains why the characters are so comfortable sharing the house and cooking and are so attached to the Michigan football game. I actually knew somebody who lived in one of those co-ops oh, wow. while going to grad school at U of M. Kasdan says the title, quote, The Big Chill is about a cooling process that takes place for every generation when they move from the outward-directed, more idealistic concerns of their youth to a kind of self-absorption, a self-interest which places their personal desires above those of society or even an ideal. Wow, that's not what I thought Eesh. it meant. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also a term for death. That's what I thought it meant. Yeah. <laughs> the general slow cooling of the body as it... Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> When Meg says she envisioned herself defending Huey and Bobby, this is just for those who are too young to know this, she's talking about Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, the founders of the Black Panther Party. Mm. This movie produced not one, but two soundtrack albums. The Big Chill soundtrack and the Big Chill more songs from the original soundtrack. They just couldn't fit them all on there. Huh. Apparently, and I didn't know this or really consider it, this is part of a Kasdan trilogy. Huh? Of three films which examine his generation. It's in order. They're The Big Chill, Grand Canyon in 1991, and Darling Companion in 2012. 
boy, there's a big I've gap. I've heard there. of Grand Canyon. I have never heard of Darling Companion. I haven't seen either of them. Me either. A lot of people think, and I got to admit, I thought this too when I saw this movie later, that the, the 1980 movie, The Return of the Secaucus 7, was sort of a precursor in terms of like theme, story, and subject to The Big Chill. But Kasdan denies ever having seen it before 1983. Hmm. Eh. I don't know it. It's it's interesting from a film history point of view, but it's kind of dull. Mm. Kasdan wrote The Empire, as we know, he wrote The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark by himself. But because of this film, he could only commit part-time to writing Return of the Jedi. Explains a few things. Mm, teddy bears. Yes, and uh, he, he so he and George Lucas took on alternate drafts. Kasdan's son, John Kasdan, who appears in this film. Yep. Yep, he's the little kid in the bathtub. Yep. Went on to write Solo, a Star Wars story, with his father. Huh. Nice, that, nice job. Yeah. I enjoyed. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more, especially about the actors, but uh, I think that'll cover for Wh- now. Which actor in particular had the most trivia? We'll get to that. <laughs> oh, Max, you're such a lovely shade of scarlet. <laughs> but now, the plot. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> well, such as it is. Seven close friends, former 60s radicals who have let time and distance separate them a bit, find themselves drawn back together when the eighth member of their clique, Alex, suddenly kills himself. Harold, Sarah, Karen, Sam, Meg, Nick and Michael find themselves spending the weekend together at Howard and Sarah's surprisingly palatial mansion in the mythical land of Michigan after Alex's funeral, grappling with their loss, the lack of apparent reason behind it, and trying to reconcile who they were with who they've become. Old relationships are reevaluated, new ones are formed, and there's music, 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 all while under the sway of the Lord of Darkness, Kevin Klein. <laughs> as we know, is my nemesis. <laughs> the film. Someday, he'll find out who I am. <laughs> is that the uh, plot, then? That's it. That's the plot. So, wait, wait, wait. This film is supposedly taking place in Michigan? Yes, it is. Um, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> I don't believe it was, it was not, in fact, filmed in Michigan, I'd, which I think is a fictional state. I mean, I believe it was filmed in another state beginning with M, like Mississippi. Yeah. Like, all that moss hanging from the... Like, isn't this a house from The Help? I swear no, it that, is. No, this is a house from... Oh, it's from a movie called The Great Santini. It's oh, the I'm, same... And that takes place in the South. So, yes, this is somewhere in the South. I think it's Virginia. I mean, it's not even Southern Michigan. No. Because <laughs> that's kind of where but I Kazin live. But really liked the house. We don't have hanging Spanish moss <laughs> here or well, live oaks. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, it, does it ever actually say they're in Michigan? Several times. They talk about it a lot like they went there, but... That's why they're so invested in the Michigan game. That's why the cop knows it's the, t- it's the halftime for the Michigan game. No, no. They say they are in Michigan. Um, I have to vote no. Yeah. <laughs> Just absolutely. I got absolutely no sense of Michigan at all. Wow. Okay, I missed that. Um, at least I think so. I'm, I'm not, a, it, I, I think it's supposed to be in Michigan just because that's, uh, Kasdan's, I'm not sure. Uh, God, now you got me doubting it. Well, well it's well. just nothing about it visually that says Michigan at all. Mm. Nothing. The, the live oaks and the, the, and the good times there are air forgot. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
Okay. Uh, it's, it's also a problem. You've got uh, Kevin Klein, who isn't trying to hide his Missouri accent in this one. That's his real accent? That's his real accent. He has oh, a slight, because he it, used, used to have a slight southern accent. Because um, it was so um, migratory. <laughs> it comes and goes, talking of Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah. And it's, oh, well, we usually like to do this, but let's let's start with actors. And yes, we can get to him last if you'd rather, so it'll hurt more. <laughs> or whatever you want. Yeah. We have a whole, well, we to, for me, we have a few big names and then a few people I've heard of and then a couple of, huh? Tom Berenger, I mostly know him from TV. He was also big in the Major League se- uh, series of movies, was baseball he? movies. Okay. Yep. I don't know what he was eating for this film, but I'd like some. Um, <laughs> Mr. Berenger yeah. is, um, let's see, what's that word? Hot. Yes, that's the <laughs> word I want. Yes, and he does like to wander around with his shirt open. That's that's fine. I yeah, see, yeah. you know, if I looked like that, I would too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, probably giving something away, but I was going to ask you this anyway. He actually is my favorite character of the group. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think I really like the dichotomy of somebody who is obviously really famous and how much he just loves the fact that for this moment he can be a regular person and how difficult that is. I it's one I love that sequ- that uh, the dialogue where He's saying, you know, in in Hollywood, I don't know if it, who really likes me or if they just want something from me. And when Klein looks at him and says, absolutely straight face, well, you don't have to worry about that here. You know I don't like you. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's obviously the draw of this film is the relationships between the characters and how at ease they are with each other. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, that's fictitious. No people are ever that close. No people know each other that well or that <laughs> comfortable with each other, you stupid jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's I'm right, obviously. noodle noggin. Yeah, whatever. Glenn Close. Yeah. Uh, did she ever give a bad performance? She, can she do that? I, I, I don't. I've never seen one. Mm. I don't think she. She's been in bad movies. Yeah. But she's oh, she always brightens it up, and her performance, I think, is one of the most understated and subtle in the movie. And she's the character where I just go, I what what did, wait there right there you were thinking something but you didn't say it what were you thinking Yeah, especially because the relationships in this film are in pre-film are were interesting. So apparently she slept with Alex, the the mm-hmm. mysterious Alex, at some point got caught and then decided she'd rather keep her marriage to. Ca- uh, we'll get back to him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but. Then there's at least one discussion she's having with who was it? Was it with Karen? Uh, yeah. About it was how the fact that they, you know, and how that went about and stuff and how they, she basically said, okay, I'll quit it, but I don't know that she really wanted to. But then, of course, later on, we get the impression her character, Sarah, may be a lot more open-minded than most people in marriage are. Maybe. But there's also, the thing that got, my, my favorite moment with her is when Meg is talking about Harold and saying, well, it's easy for you to say married to Harold, the perfect man. And she's looking away from Meg and her face changes just for a second. Like, Mm. it just still gets me, what were you thinking just then? Yeah. What was that? Well, it's like when every time we look at Karen and they're talking about Richard. She was realizing she was married to Kevin (laughs) Klein. Stop it. Sorry. It's like every time we look at Karen and they talk about Richard. 
and it's like we know My it's lawyer, coming. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing about Richard. Richard is the one character in the film that I'm pretty sure nobody likes. And they don't dislike him, but yeah, he's just and and the guy Don Gall- Galloway who plays him, who's mostly known for westerns and a crap ton of television. Yeah, I don't know him. He he does. I think he does a great job. I, I always felt really bad for him because yes, he's the stiff. He's the advertising executive. Yeah, we're not supposed to like him. But also, you really empathize because here is this group of friends who have known each other for eight thousand years or fifteen. <laughs> and you're the outsider. You're the one. You're sort of the interloper. Yeah. Although there's someone else who, who I think is very interesting that way. Another outsider, but who fits in much better, and that's Chloe. Well, but why does she fit in? Because she's connected to Alex, and she doesn't say anything. Yeah, she doesn't talk as much, anywhere near as much as the others do. And you also get the feeling there's just something odd about her. There's something. Oh, oh yeah, there's something odd about her. All right, like she literally like you. Does death mean anything to you? I'm not sure it does. I mean, she does cry at one point, but I don't think it's for the same reason everyone else is crying. And there's also one point where they're talking about why didn't he leave a note? Why didn't he say anything? And she almost says something. Yeah. Yeah, I was really wondering what what that was about. she She gets interrupted and she just doesn't go back to it. I, Meg Tilly, I don't know her from anything either. It's a very interesting character because she seems a lot younger than everybody else. And we never... There's two people in this film we never really get a handle on. One of them, it's fair, they don't appear in the film. Well, not yeah. living anyway. Yeah. And that's Alex. And the other one is Chloe. Like, we... I don't... I don't really understand anything about her. I don't think we're supposed to. I think that's part of the idea because we're, in effect... Sp- we're supposed to be drawn into the group of friends, and they don't understand her because they don't know who she is. Right. I mean, I, you get the feeling Harold and Sarah at least have met her and know her a little, but you, they don't have any kind of idea of who she is. At least they're nice to her. Yeah, they, they seem to be nice. And, but Chloe, who at first you think is sort of like, I don't know, is she a space case? Does she just not know what's going on? She's very plugged in. I really Just little things where when she's saying, yeah, I'm staying at the house until Sarah kicks me out. And Karen is like, oh, I'm sure she wouldn't do that. And she just sort of gives this little smile like, of course she would. Why wouldn't yeah. she? She doesn't know who I am. Of course, she'd... she's not naive. She's not stupid. Yeah. I will say, too, that I can't tell if it's her... this one of three answers as to why she, um, let's see how to put this nicely, continuously flexes at us during the film. And one of them is, okay, titillation for the audience. One is she literally has no idea what's going on and why this might be something that might attract attention. Or three, she's trying to attract attention. I think she's just doing it because that's how she expresses herself. That's how she deals with stuff is physically. Yeah. Because she doesn't talk a lot, so it comes out uh, that way. Also, Meg Tilly was a ballerina. I I would hope so, because I would hate Mm. to think somebody had to train for that part, because the part where she ties her legs into a knot behind (laughs) her head, I mean, It's pretty impressive, yeah. She's also the sister of Jennifer Tilly, uh, known for more of the baby-voiced whisper. You'd know her. Okay. She's incredibly flexible, and I really feel bad, because it's obvious the woman never eats. Mm. Um, So, but this is the 80s, and yeah. Mary Kay Place is a name Mm. I know from 
things, but yep. not well, a big name. Lots of stuff. No, she was no, she was a big name in the eighties. She was like on a yeah. bunch of TV shows. She was in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. But yeah, she's she has not aged as with the others in terms of fame. But she does a solid job, I think, as Meg. Meg, you know who she is. Yeah, and of course, you know Meg will have a very interesting uh, relationship with. Um, well, we'll get to him later on. And I actually, I like the way they deal with the fact that she wants to have a child and is trying to choose somebody amongst her friends because she's like, look, I can't find a man that I actually want to marry, but I really want a child. And these people I know and like, except for Michael. So, <laughs> and she, first she chooses Sam, which, why wouldn't you? Oh, but, no, Sam isn't the first one she chooses. She goes after Nick. No, she can't go after Nick because Nick can't... Um, she didn't know oh, that. Oh, that's she right. First, Why am I the last she approached, to know? Yeah. I don't she, know why she, she would have cho chosen Nick, quite honestly, but we'll get back to it's him, William too. Hurt, man. Come on. Yeah, but William Hurt's in this, so... Mm -hmm. um, she chooses Sam, and Sam she turns her down, which actually made me in, endeared me to him even more because he's like, yeah, look, you know what? I know me. I'm going to get bored. It's not... Oh, that's with Karen, but... Yeah. Yeah. She, he, even still, he says, I'm not going to stick around. So well, he said, I, and she says, uh, "I don't need you to stick around." But he says, "Yeah, I, I but I, bringing a person into this world, I, I can't just do that and then not be there." Yeah. So, so her yeah, it's her position's interesting, and even more interesting is what happens when you see Sarah's mind change because mm -hmm. her kids want to talk to Auntie Meg, I guess, on yeah, the phone. She sees how good she is with them, and she's like, "You know what? This person deserves a child." And as I said, I think Sarah is meant to have a polygamous nature to her. Maybe. And is like, you know what? I understand we have love for each other. I know that my husband, who will probably find this odd, has love for <laughs> you as a friend. So, yeah, why don't you two go ahead and go make a kid? Because, yeah. Uh, we have William Hurt, a lesser-known yeah. actor. I think he did a couple of commercials <laughs> before this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we got another Oscar nominee in here. That's William Hurt. And uh, I, I think he does a great job as Nick. I mean, this is a very different kind. Usually he's more of an authority figure or some such. But here he's this damaged, um, cynical, bitter guy. Yeah. Uh, Who has, you know, he's he a Vietnam a vet. He had an injury that he w cannot get over for one reason or another, which, to be fair, it sounds like it's an injury that I don't, I think a lot of guys would have trouble getting over. Yeah. And the injury was that he's not Kevin Klein. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to him. <laughs> yes. No, he, no, the injury, is, whether it's an actual, just maybe it was nerve damage or whatever, he's impotent. He, right. Yeah. And he doesn't. Yes, he yeah. doesn't. Jeff Goldblum. Ah. Uh, I have to say, for me, this he is the least Jeff Goldblum I've this ever seen. This is really before he be, he started Goldblooming all over the place. <laughs> he really restrains it. I think he does a great job as Michael. He's so he's both sleazy and likable. Slikable. Yes, yeah, likable. <laughs> we'll use that from now on. Yeah, likable. And he is like as soon as he sees Chloe. It's sort of ooga ooga yes. dive dive yeah yeah which and we just all, we see him in the first sequence we know he has a girlfriend and he's doing this at the funeral yeah by the way was his actual girlfriend at the time oh doesn't he, wasn't he going out or wasn't he married to Gina Davis at some point that was that came later yeah oh. that was after the fly okay 
But um, yeah, yes, at the funeral, he's yeah. like, oh, hello. Yeah. And it, I, I just love that moment where, you know, Harold's saying, can you, can you sit with Chloe? And he, he, yeah, sure, who's Chloe? And he looks over and he sees, who, sees what she looks like, stops, looks at Harold, goes, I'll take care of her. <laughs> and thankfully, Chloe has enough whatever oh, yeah. to basically go, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he keeps after her, and yeah. she like at sort of like, aha, there, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> no chance. Yeah, and then when he finds out that Meg wants to have a baby, yes. he's like, hey, how about me? How about me? Uh, let me know by the third quarter, third for third quarter, because I'll I'll, I'll I'll do be the guy. I still like where he rolls his sleeve up and is trying to flex what I assume was his bicep at her. Well, he would later, because later on, you no, know, uh, yeah, Jeff later on he got ripped. seriously ripped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see the fly. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we also have, I sort of skipped over Jo Beth yeah. Williams as Karen, and yeah. I think she does a good job, too. She does, a, she does an okay job. I have to say, I think she's the weakest performance. I, I don't think, she feels the most artificial in some ways. Um, Especially when she's talking to Sam and she's fangirling over him. See, I found that to be totally realistic, and I totally understood where she was okay. coming from, and the frustration of somebody that she loved that would never come back to her and then he initially rejects her although the ending with them is really strange i can't tell if she means what she says and that's like oh i can't wait to go back to my husband and the boys or she's just saying that so the other people don't know that she does plan to take them and go to los angeles and be with sam i don't think so i think it was more she's been having this whole fantasy about sam and this whole idea of what it could be like. And then she experiences the reality and is like, okay, time to go back to real life. And see, that's where I can't understand it. But he um, said, he can't, she, when she says, I want to leave Richard for you, and he's like, I can't do it. I, I know what will happen. I'll get bored. Mm. I mean, he tells her. And I got to say, he does it clumsily, but... It, you got to respect the honesty. He's like, yeah, it will not work. And he tells her this before have, they have sex. I, yeah, I felt that that part of the film was weak. I didn't oh. see what they were actually trying to say. Like, was he just saying that because he was afraid that if he actually was with a woman he really cared for, that things would go bad like the first one and that's why he's saying it or did he mean i don't know and does she mean she's actually going back to richard or not i don't know i think i think she is i think she's like it's okay Tom, enough of the fantasy i've got to get back to my real life i guess i don't yeah. think they spent really any time on it so it was impossible for me to tell yeah okay i can see both interpretations but yes <laughs> we have to get to the prince of lies himself <laughs> Stop, Ke Kevin Klein. Yes, because who Ma does a really good job? I think he does a decent job. This is not my favorite Kevin Klein role ever. He actually, the character of Harold isn't given all that much to do. Although well, I all think that much to wear those yeah. shorts. Yeah, my God, man! <laughs> I think you little Kevin was coming he out. Was. <laughs> his accent. Yeah. You say that's his real accent. It it's not consistent. It, it slips in and out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think he's a, the character is interesting because he's, of all of them, well, actually, he and Sam, I think that's why he and Sam are sort of comfortable. They're both really successful, and in some ways, they're both pro they're pretty big sellouts. So is, actually, so are all of them, if you really get to it. And sure. Except maybe Sarah. She became a doctor, although you know she's not working at, like, the free clinic 
in in Detroit or some such. Oh, they can't even smell Detroit from where they yeah, are. Yeah, from wherever they are. Yeah, they've. I mean, they've got that house. They've got a summer house. He owns twenty eight stores. It's yeah. going to be bought by a conglomerate. He's he, he's roll, he's basically become the establishment. He's become the man. Well, let's face it, nobody in this movie is exactly suffering financially. No, no. The closest is Nick, and even then it's like... The guy's driving a Porsche. I mean, he's well, obviously making Porsche. a good living as a drug dealer. Uh, well, he's spending a lot on it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know that he's a drug dealer. The only reason we might think that is because the cop says, oh, you might be one of those oh, no. drug dealers. Yep. Harold basically says, it implies that when he's saying, you know, if you, put, if you invest in my company, you could stop... And he won't. See, he won't even say it, but it's oh. pretty clear. I didn't get it, but that's okay. I did, yeah, I definitely got, got that vibe. But he was a psychiatrist and had a successful mm-hmm. radio show. Yeah, apparently he was Fraser Crane for a while. I, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. This is way pre Fraser Crane, so yeah. But he would have a good radio voice. I think he has that kind of soothe. He can have that very soothing, relaxing voice. It was funny Hurt. whenever he was talking and we didn't see him. I kept thinking he was somebody else. Huh. Um, and it was. Um, Oh man, it wasn't Richard Dreyfus. Who the hell was it? I kept I kept hearing his voice like who? That's not John Hurt. Who is? Oh no, William Hurt. That is William Hurt. Who? Eh. But he sounded sounds like somebody else. I just oh Dustin Hoffman. When he's off camera, oh. he sounds a lot like Dustin Hoffman. I had not noticed that. All yeah. right. Who can also huh. be soothing in certain ways? Yeah. yeah. So in general, I think we have a pretty solid cast. I don't yeah, think anybody does do. a bad job. Um, nope. Let's get this out of the way. There's not a single dark person in this film except in the soundtrack. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's a very white movie. Oh, yes. And they're all rich. So in some ways you could say, well, I really care about what happens to a bunch of rich white people. <laughs> now, that being said, I, I'm, we haven't been called out on this. and I'm sure at some point we will. That... These are all older films, and what mm-hmm. do you want them to do? Remake them and put people of color in them? Well, yes, but well, they could. Obviously, this is it is what it is. We just still like to point out that there's plenty of room for people of color in films, and this yes. is not one of them. Except, I did find the dichotomy of like, here's all these rich white people, and almost all of the music in this film was done by people of color. Almost mm. all of it. It's like that, yeah, except for the Beach Boys. Uh, yeah, the one who the band who does Bathroom on the Right, I can't. I don't think they are either. Oh, that's right. And the weight was done by the band, and uh, they're white. But really, most the, of a the lot music. of yeah. You got Marvin Gaye. You've got uh, um, Smokey Robinson. I Smokey think Robinson. Is in there. Thank you. Yeah, it's just yeah, like that's the thing. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Uh, sound- I know a lot of people are going to sit there going, "Oh, it's an oldie station." <laughs> I I love this soundtrack. I grew up, I, when I first saw this movie, and I saw it when it came out, I loved that soundtrack. This was the movie that really introduced me to the song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Hmm. Growing up, I, was, I lived in a Beatles household, and if you lived in a Beatles household, you didn't listen to the Stones. Apparently. Which is so weird, because they're like, they don't I even know. play the same kind of music. <laughs> I know. They, they, my parents didn't like the Stones. They liked yeah. the Beatles. So I didn't grow up listening to the Stones, and that I loved that song, and I really love the way they use it in the movie. It was an interesting choice, also because, if I remember correctly, in the real song, the real version of the Stones, it starts mm-hmm. with a pipe organ and a choir. It starts with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. No, sorry, the Vienna Boys Choir singing the opening and in here it's the song they they're playing for the pallbearers because it was one of alex's favorites and they start off with karen playing it on the pipe organ and in a seamless segue they move it over into the actual song yeah 
which is and a lot I really more fun. liked and I also loved the reactions when they start the cuz the first three bars, and you know what that song is. The first three notes, you know what that song is. It's yeah. very recognizable. And all of his friends, when they start playing, they all smile and nod. Mm. Like, yep, yep, this is this is Alex. Yeah. I, I like that. Although it was so weird, the way that people talk about him, the person that seemed to actually know him the best was the priest. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> The, pri- the priest said he didn't know him. I know, but the way he talked about him, yeah. it you know, oh, he did. He's he went from job to job and down all this stuff, and it was just like well, because Harold told him he get you. They yeah, they, they I, interview the the best friends at those things, so they have something to talk about. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I've been to yeah. funerals where it's like so and so was a th- this thing, and it's like he was. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> so eh. the music. From, it is a great soundtrack. I will not not say it isn't. They picked the best they could, most of it from Motown. That being said, there's sometimes when the music is almost too on point. It's almost like this finger pointing at what's going Kazan on right now. was trying to avoid that. He didn't want the music to be that obvious. Sometimes it really is. Yeah, it's an underline, double underline under some yeah. of the dialogue. And it's like, okay... I Not get to mention, it. I mean, whiter shade of pale that does describe the cast. <laughs> yeah, and heard it through the grapevine. They're eating grapes, I think, at that point. And uh, or, <laughs> no, I mean, heard it through the grapevine is when the message about Alex's death is going out. Right. Which, by the way, I think is one of the most effective sequences in the movie. the The juxtaposition of the dressing of the corpse, which I remember very vividly the first time I saw this, I didn't, I couldn't figure out what was happening. I thought it was some guy getting dressed. Right, I got suspicious when you see the hands have red nail polish, and the angle that the the pants are being buttoned is weird. And I really wasn't sure. I thought, oh wait, is that? And then you see that brief shot of as they're pulling the cuff over the wrist. Right, those three neat little parallel lines, and they're like, oh, mm. instantly, you know what's going on and what happened to him. Right, I think I- that the opening is really effective. Yeah, it is, well, it sets the stage, because this film is very interestingly paced and pasted. Well, it's linear, but it's not, the way it cuts between things really gives you, or doesn't give you, a sense of time passing. Like, scenes don't necessarily lead to scenes. There will be scenes where there are characters literally doing one thing. They're doing this thing. And the next scene is that character with a totally different character walking off somewhere else, having a conversation. It's a, it's a very interesting way of cutting the film. I thought, I think it's really, I agree. I think it's interesting and I think it works. It gives a sense that this weekend for them is a weekend out of time. And it is. Because they've, yeah. I think it's the longest weekend I've ever seen depicted. It's like, wait, what day did this start on? Because there's more than a Saturday and Sunday in here. It's obviously the first time they've been together, all of them, in one place in years. They're falling, in some ways, falling back into old patterns. And it's like they've traveled back in time, or they want to travel back, except they can't. Because they're very they're different people than they were in college. You see, you know, Michael, who was a cru- wanted to be a crusading reporter. What is he now? He w- writes for People magazine. Yeah. 
And well, somebody has Meg, to. I think, is the most honest about it. She says, I was, you know, she's worked in an inner city as a public defender, and she's referring to her clients there as scum. And then she becomes a corporate lawyer because you know, the offices are cleaner. I, I actually have to say that my two favorite quotes come with Jeff Goldblum's character, Michael, and one of them, they're talking about how he has to write articles that people can read while they crap. Yes. And somebody points out, well, people read Dostoevsky on the crap. He's like, yes, yes but, but they, they don't can't finish, finish it. <laughs> <laughs> but his, yep. my absolute favorite quote of the film, the only thing that actually made me laugh out loud is a point where he says, that's what's great about the outdoors. It's one big toilet. <laughs> I, I still like where he's talking about rationalizations with Sam. He's saying, yeah, rationalizations are more mm. important than sex. And Sam's like, nothing's more important than sex. He goes, oh, yeah, have you ever gone a week without a rationalization? <laughs> yeah. Damn, he's got a point. What point? <laughs> How should I know? My head hurts. <laughs> and he's French. No. <laughs> there's, yeah, I, there's a couple of things that I did want to ask, though. Who's Alex? You got to be a little less existential. What do you mean? I no, I don't. He's who, a friend he, of theirs. From Alex, okay, uh, who is Mon- he? Who was he, he to these people? He was one of. He was part of their group of friends. He lived in the co-op with them. He was a, a apparently very brilliant. He got a fellowship. He was another '60s radical, uh, like them. They were pals. Okay. Uh, he drifted from job to job. Uh, eventually. He settled down in that uh, little fix-em-up cabin of Harold and Sarah's. Uh, we don't know much about him. No. Beyond that, we know he. We know they loved him. We know Sarah had an affair well, with him only a couple we, of years ago. Do we know they loved him? Are we because no one was really in contact with him. They love him now that he's gone. Yeah, they were. Of course they were. That's one of again one of my favorite moments is Meg saying, "You know, the last time I talked to Alex a couple of weeks ago, we had a fight." And I yelled at him, and Nick just said, that's probably why he killed himself. Which, quite honestly, I know it sounds smart-ass, that's exactly the right thing to say. Because why? that's exactly what she's thinking. Because oh. that's in her head, and he's pulling it out and making her, making her realize how silly that sounds. I, it bothered me a bit that I didn't know more about him. And... I know it, I can easily see this going either way. People watching this film saying, doesn't matter, it does matter, it does matter. I would have liked something. Because they're ostensibly brought here for him. And it does affect them. But it's also obvious they haven't been a group for 15 years. Like, they've all gone off in their own little ways. And I, I want, especially because we have Chloe there about whom we know nothing. And, we, and she's there, and we don't know anything about her. Why were they together? She l- seems to be, like, at least 10 years younger than everybody else. I kind of wanted to know more. I also yeah. kind of didn't want that really annoying Easter egg, Lawrence Kasdan. Oh. Yes. It's like, yes. really? Which is a really? shame, because I love that whole sequence where they're fighting the bats. Yeah. Just yeah. And hey, just so you know, Goonies... That's what a real bat looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Notice there was no dangling. No. There was a so, lot of flapping, and they reacted exactly the way people react to bats, which is just shriek. Yeah. Especially when they're inside. Yeah. I I wanted to know, and I don't think we necessarily needed to see more footage or see any footage of Kevin Costner wandering around being dull. I Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Kevin Costner. Yeah. 
I just wish I'd known... So like, they start going through his papers. They find his papers, and all they pull out is a news clipping that Michael had written about him when he gave up his fellowship in school. And it's like, what else is in there? Could we have a little something? Yeah. Anything? Yeah, I can see how that would bother you. It never bothered me, because the movie's not about Alex. It's about them. No, but it his importance... Like, we don't know why he's important, except he was part of the group. And to be fair, there's people in the group now that I'm not sure why people think they're important. Like Nick, who is a <laughs> rhymes with. Um, I'm hoping yeah, he's about he, to make a turn. I do. But he obviously is. He still cares about them. He's he's very gentle, letting Meg down. Uh, well, he messes with people. He's also, if anything, is pretty clear. He's hardest on himself. That sequence where he's interviewing himself on camera. And wasn't that weird? Yeah, I liked that. I thought that was really well done. I, and yeah. it's just, you can hear the self-loathing in it. and The only it, bad... It, I'm sorry, go ahead. And it, in a lot of ways, they don't over... They don't stress it, but this guy went to Vietnam. He was a right. Vietnam veteran. He There is no way he is not messed up mm -hmm. on many levels. Right. And they don't shove that in your face. Mm. <laughs> They don't. I'm sorry. They really don't. He doesn't dress like one. He doesn't talk about oh, what it was oh, oh, like I over. I thought you meant that he was messed up, not that he had been yeah. in Vietnam. I was oh, saying, no, no. I they, think they oh, shoved no, he's messed up. It's very clear that he's messed up. <laughs> yeah. I. The thing that's sad about that scene is that that scene has less impact today. And the reason is technology. Because in those days, that somebody had a video camera was a big deal because most people didn't. Yeah, and having a rarity. and having access to something where you could see yourself on TV more or less was rare, even for more wealthy people. Not everybody had those things in 1980. What was it? 1984. Yeah, yeah. So these days, oh, we just hold up our phone, so I can interview myself right now. In fact, yeah. this thing we're doing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something you couldn't do back then, except on tape, you could listen to yourself on a cassette tape, but it's not the same. Right. So it's kind of too bad that that scene, because that self-examination, which eventually becomes kind of a little a bit of seasoning for the rest of the film, because I thought he was trying to hide it, but he's not. He's right out in the open interviewing himself. And it's like, what is going on here? But I like there's a lot of little 60s references in here. You know, did you notice the name of um, Harold's company, his, his shoe company? It's running, running dogs. Running dog shoes. I don't know that. Running dog in the 60s, uh, it was a phrase that uh, the Viet Cong used to use about the Americans. They called us running dogs. Oh. And a lot of the hippies picked up that phrase and referred to capitalists, running dog capitalist pigs. Oh. So Which, it, was an in, it was an insult. So he's now taken that thing and made it into that thing. Okay. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, there's yeah. some irony there. It's clear that he has a few. He's like, yes, I'm very successful. Capitalism has worked for me. And part of me really realizes I completely sold out and I feel bad about it, but I, I don't he feel that really bad. <laughs> well, he feels upset. That's why he's so upset when Nick calls him out on it. Like, well, since when are you friends with cops? And he obviously, you know, that pisses him off. Nick obviously apologizes to him later. I still, I see why they keep Nick around. He's very sharp. And in some ways, underneath that all, I do really feel that he has tremendous affection for all of them. Yeah, I don't think he doesn't. Uh, that's one of the things that, to be fair, that has been said about William Hurt is that he tends to come off somewhat cold no matter what role he's in, and he does. Um, here, I think it's on purpose because there's that 
that trauma he's still dealing with. And I'm sure, he, although he never says it, the fact that none of his friends seem to have gone through it either, like he's the only one who actually went or We're, was that's called not up. Cl that isn't clear because when they're going through Alex's papers, they say there's nothing in the, yeah, there's his induction notice. But nobody says anything about him having gone. If he actually went, he might have been 4F. Yeah, yeah there's, we don't or, know. He burned his car. Oh, he didn't burn. Well, yeah. whatever. He went to Canada. We don't know. We don't know. But we are getting to that point where we're running out of time. Yeah. And so we should decide. The finish. So, Mike. Yes. You've never, you have never seen this movie up until, up until this week. Kevin Klein. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, just, it just snuck out. I don't know what happened. <sighs> no, I actually, as I said last week, honestly thought that it was a gangster film, and I had no <laughs> well, big chill, big sleep. Uh -huh. It's, I mean, and big, big sleep means death too, right? So yes, yes. <laughs> I, I thought it was a modern you day. You dope. <laughs> I knew nothing, literally nothing about this film. Uh. So thinking it was a gangster movie, I ignored it. Okay, but uh, having gone into this in effect cold, what did you think? I think it was probably better in 1983. I don't think it's a bad film, and I think it's generally well put together, but it doesn't really... I don't think it goes to the depths that a film would go today, because nobody ever gets that upset, even Nick, and everybody seems to be great at this happy ending feeling about it that I, I don't... It doesn't end up going anywhere. Really. The only thing I can say is I think Nick is maybe aiming at something better in his life. I'm not going to say recovery because that's not really fair. But everyone else, ex well, and of course Meg's going to get her baby, so that's fine. But it's like nobody else was really, I don't know. It didn't affect me. Now, I do have a million dollar script idea of how to make this that actually, and I'm, this is going to sound joking, but I'm serious about, would make a really good modern day version of this. Do the same thing, but do it about a D&D &D group. Right? That could All, be interesting. Because if, for people who don't know, if you've never been in a, in a tight D&D &D group, especially high school or I'm guessing college, mm -hmm. the relationships in that group can be really interesting. And very convoluted and very complex. And then later on... You've got things to talk about between people and not only the relations between the people, but the relationship between their characters. And did that mean anything? And hey, did you not figure out that I was blah, 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 blah? I think, and it's, the other nice thing about that is you would obviously be able to put a lot more people of different racial backgrounds. But I honestly think making a big chill type movie about a D&D &D group getting back together after 15 or 20 years could be really interesting. But That could be interesting, yeah. But I yeah, it's okay. I I best picture it didn't win, did it? No. Uh, that's no, it fine. It didn't win it didn't win anything. It yeah, it didn't didn't feel best to me. It's okay. What did you think though? I'm guessing you like this film. I do. I liked it when it came out. I think I liked it more then, but I still I still really like it. I like the music. I think the performances are good. I find the friendships believable. Mm -hmm. I also I had forgotten how funny a lot of this movie is. I, uh, this mostly Michael, but a lot of them have really. There's a lot of really good lines in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing on Dostoevsky or any of those. One of the lines I really like. It's not so much funny, but with Chloe, when someone says, you know, I mean, when someone asks her, was was Alex happy, and she says, "Oh, I haven't been around all that many happy people. What do they act like?" 
It's like, damn, that's actually a good question. Yeah. It's almost more a quilt than a story, right? Mm-hmm. It's little pieces. It's a, sl- it's a moment in time. It's, it's or a moments. series. Yeah. It's, it's an event. It's a quiet event over a weekend. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of real feeling in it. I, I love the dynamics between the characters. Even the, the Prince of All Shadows can't ruin it for me. <laughs> oh, stop. Klein! I wish that there had been more disparity between the characters. And I don't mean emotionally. I just mean their backgrounds. Everyone seems to be generally, except potentially William Hurt, Nick's character. Um, you know, we don't even know because maybe he does make a lot of money selling drugs. Who knows? But nobody seems to be really hurting. You know, nobody well, really let's seems... Face it, they- they're, they're friends from college. They come from the same socioeconomic background. But that doesn't they mean They have the anything. same connections. You can have tons of people come. One of one person came to college entirely on a scholarship because it's true, the only true. way they could go. And then they never made it anywhere or something. I just, I wish there had been more differences between the characters um, or something. I wish there had been more, I guess is what I was thinking. Okay. It's, yeah. But I'm glad I got to see it this time out because otherwise I probably would have continued thinking that there was machine guns and um, <laughs> iron guts Kelly or whatever. That's a match <laughs> reference, but yeah. So yeah. And you know, I get to make Max get all pissed off because Kevin Klein's in a movie that we did, <laughs> but uh, Hey, yeah. speaking of uh, poll questions, which we weren't, <laughs> but let's yes. Our, this week, many people think that this movie, the big chill is a movie that defined or at least summed up a generation. What movie do you think of as a defining movie for your generation? What movie just says, yep, that's my generation's movie? And you can answer this burning question (laughs) over at our website, maxmikemovies.com. You can leave a comment. You can email us directly for extra bumpy bucks at us at maxmikemovies.com. Or you can check us out on the social media that the kids like so much, the Facing Book, (laughs) under Max Mike Movies. And, of course, podcast apps everywhere. Everywhere. Literally. Yes. Oh, there's one now. Yep. But we're more than ha- we're coming through a, toward, toward the end of this series. On, I can't believe you haven't seen that. So, Mike, what's a movie that you can't believe I haven't seen? What are we going to watch next week? Yeah, well, I mean, I keep forgetting the name. It's, uh, you, you, you've, uh, you've heard of it. It's, you know, the, yeah. the guy who's in that thing. The guy that- the thing, the, the guy in the thing. Uh, oh, oh God! This always happens. It's hard yeah. getting older. Yeah, yeah. The movie with the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing. And the yeah. guy in the thing. What? Yeah. What? The thing. What about it? Well, okay. Yeah, it's okay. Michael, remember the uh, the title eventually, and we'll put it on the site. We're going to watch the thing. <laughs> this is so sad. Okay, I just with Kurt Russell. Oh, oh, oh! That one. <laughs> John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> well, you could have just said. I did! Because <laughs> I can't believe that Max hasn't seen The Thing, one of the most defining action horror films of the 80s. Scary. It's kind of sort of scary. But honestly, you've seen Alien, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Alien's that a lot was... worse than The Thing. Well, that's not very comforting. Alien scared the crap out of me. Well, Max, right. I can suggest I'll get my depends. <laughs> I was going to say, either that or watch it on the toilet, because <laughs> whatever you do, make sure to finish Dostoevsky. And join us next week for The Thing. <laughs> Which eventually Mike will remember the name for. Huh? A-
This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.